So the pressing in doesn't stop when the music stops. I'm a firm believer that pressing in carries on as we open up the Bible together, as we respond to Jesus' words, as we respond to what the Bible has to teach. Sometimes there's a pressing in, in to hearing what God might want to say to us, all of us really, in the room at any given Sunday, at any given point, at any given time. And this is, uh, so this is the first day of the hunger season and um, 21 days of really, to be honest, looking for more of the presence of God. What does he want to do? What does he want to say? And asking God to come and meet us. But that's not the only side of the relationship. It's about us devoting and committing to wanting to seek and know God. And not just on a Sunday. Actually, so much of what we talk about and do is in the everyday. So much of it is in the everyday. And um, before, as part of what I want to say this morning, probably about 20, 25 minutes, and then we're going to come back to break bread together and we're going to worship. Um, I've got my lovely, beautiful wife here. Her name's Roz. Would you like to say hello, Roz? Hello. Do you feel suitably welcomed? Yes. Good. And um, so this is Roz. This is my wife. And um, this is someone that I hugely respect, actually. And um, as, a, as a woman, as a woman of God, as a mum, as a wife, as a person and an individual, and as someone that I know follows Jesus, she's hugely encouraging to me, and I know she is to other people. And so I've got a couple of questions I would love to ask Roz, because I kind of see some of this in the everyday, but in secret as well. And um, as part of the hunger season, for, for my heart, what I would love us corporately, in unity, together, is to go for God in the everyday and not just when we gather in here. Because it matters in the everyday. It matters in the everyday. So, Roz, do you mind me asking you a couple of questions? I know you don't because you've already said yes, so it's a bit of a silly question. What does, like, in your everyday, you're a busy teacher, you're a busy mum, you're a very busy wife, I know you are, and I feel sorry for you, I know what your husband's like. And um, you're an incredible one. With so much busyness, and we're all busy, what does it look like for you to follow Jesus in the everyday? How do you grow in your relationship with God? What kind of stuff do you do? What does it look like? Thank you. It's a big question. Yeah. I know, and I've worked hard to try and reduce it, so bear with me. So I think I first began to understand what taking ownership was of my work with God when I was about 14. Um, So I've had a little while for it to grow. (laughs) Um, But um, in the youth group then, we were learning about Acts and the Holy Spirit. And um, I'd gone away and was reading Acts after the the meetings and things like that. And it had said about if um, people lay hands on you or God tells, then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. So I went back the next week and went, come on then, <laughs> lay hands on me, you flee to pray for me, and I'll receive And he's like, hang on a minute, it's not always that. So I went, yeah, it's what it says in the Bible. I was like, that's what it said. So he prayed for me. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, so I got so excited about it. I started waking up and just saying, morning, God, that sense of inviting him into my day. And I remember going to school and things, sometimes just popping into the toilet and things and just praying, just saying, help me with everything today, help me with all I'm doing, help me with my conversations. And I still do that now. Um, so I think that's the first part. Um, sometimes every day does get too much, like for everyone. Um, and I think sometimes just stopping and sometimes when I know the house is completely empty and I can just have that quiet time and that, and that is really important to restore that as well. So what you're saying is sometimes it's important to make sure that, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's almost like making sure that you have time to stop and you choose that. 
Otherwise, life takes in, takes over and carries on. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. If there's one bit of advice that you would love to give us on the start of the hunger season, something that you've learned in your own walk with God in, in the everyday, what would be one thing that you would love to share with these wonderful people that are sitting in front of us and uh, all staring at us? <laughs> one thing that you would like, if there's one chunk of encouragement at the start of the hunger season, what do you think that would be? I think a huge part of um, how God's impacted my life in the everyday and in terms of encouragement as well is just learning some of the Bible by heart. And in those moments when it's dark or you completely feel alone, obviously I'm not alone, but you can feel that at times, um, drawing on those verses. And I was just brought to mind two particular ones. Um, was Psalm 91, um, even just verse 11, he'll command his angels concerning you to guide you in all your ways. And the amount of times I've drawn on that and seen that after car accidents, before operations, I've just known that he will command his angels concerning me to guide me in all my ways, and he really has. I could tell you so many stories, I won't bore you right now, but if you want to ask another time, I've got, you know. She does have a lot of stories. I've got a lot of stories. (laughs) Where it's really... Yeah, but I won't bore you now. Another one is Luke 12, 12, where it says, do not worry about what you will say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say, slightly my own adaptation. But that's also one that i just drawn so many times uh, and just seeing how he's helped me through so much. And even just, I can wake and go, just use me today. Give me the words to say in some really difficult situations sometimes at work and the things he can do and just being honest in those situations. So... I just, to encourage you, finally, seek his gifts, listen to him, learn bits of the Bible, write them on your heart, learn in them, um, and then just be hungry, hungry for that. The more you kind of go round and round on that and you start to see it happening in your everyday, the more you're like, I can't deny this. It's just so huge and there's so much more to learn and give. So the importance of the Bible and learning it and knowing it, but reliance on the Holy Spirit in the everyday and actually working in it and working with it and listening and doing a bit or not, it sounds like that. But is that All wrong? those things. All those <laughs> things. Can we give Ros a round of applause for just kind of, thank you, thanks darling. And um, I, wanted to, I really wanted to just talk about that. And because the reality is that we've all got our everydays. And the Sunday stuff's really brilliant. We come together in unity. We look for God. We look for God to move among us. We kind of go in with a vision to want to reach the town where we live corporately. But then we leave on the Sunday, and the everyday really kicks in because we all go to work. Or if we retire, we've got family and friends, and we've got the house to do. We've got to go shopping at Aldi tomorrow. I mean, they might not have any chicken in. How annoying is that? And the, like the everyday genuinely does, it matters. That's where we spend most of our week, school, friends, sometimes in church, the majority of the time not. And so where does the presence of God come into that? What, some of the stuff that Ros is talking about, the everyday, how does this, what does it look like? How does it work itself out? And so I'd love this morning to talk about being receptive to the presence of God, more about in the everyday, but also corporately. So being receptive to the presence of God. I don't know if you want to turn to Luke 24, that's what we're going to go from. But I'm going to read that out in a bit. So for the next 20 minutes, that's what we're going to look at. What do I mean by being receptive? Um, Let me give you a little bit of a picture and analogy, I suppose. When I was a lad, I was about 14, 15. And my mum and dad, I don't know where they got it, they gave me a little black and white Ferguson TV. And it had an aerial on it, which, (laughs) which was round. And it was, it was, it was portable, but it was, it was quite a chunky kind of lump of, you wouldn't call it technology now. It was a TV. It was black and white. And you kind of turn it on, 
And I'd be up there on a Sunday night about 10 o'clock when I was supposed to go to bed. And I'd turn it on. The annoying thing was every time there was snooker on. And if you ever try to watch snooker on a black and white TV, it's, it's boring at the best of times, okay? But I thought, I'm going to watch them tell you about my mum and dad knowing. If my dad's watching this, sorry, dad. Um, I'd turn it on, it'd be snooker on black and white. And I couldn't have any volume up because then my mum and dad would know because there weren't nothing to put earphones in. So I'd be watching snooker in black and white with no sound. Figure that one out. But every time on a Sunday night I turn this thing on, I would always have to adjust. I don't know if you remember these days. You'd be sitting there adjusting this aerial for about half an hour until it actually picked up the reception of all the TV waves. And here's the thing the TV waves haven't gone anywhere. The TV waves are there. It takes fiddling with this aerial to connect to these TV waves until you can finally get it and watch a game of snooker in black and white with no volume on. Believe me, you don't want to do that. It's not, a, it's not a very interesting night. Anyway, that's kind of what I mean about being receptive to the presence of God. Because here's the thing. Let me start with a question, okay? Is it possible for God not to be present? Is it possible for our God to not be present? We ask him to be among us. Sometimes, if I... <laughs> I have to be careful. Sometimes we can uh, evaluate a meeting on, did God turn up? So does that mean that the presence of God is limited? Does that mean that God has areas where he isn't? Does that mean that God only comes when he feels like it? I'm not sure he does. Is it really possible for God to not be present? No. No. It's impossible for God to not be present. God is here. God is present everywhere, all of the time. He is as present for me here and now as he is for Al, who's standing at the back. He is equally present. God is equally present if I was here now and I was at the other end of the universe God is equally present. You could stop there and spend 20 minutes trying to get your head around that. This is God. This is God. There is nowhere that God is not present. There is nowhere that God is not present. He's present now, and he would be if you were standing on the very edge of the universe. There is no point where God is nearer or further away. We see this in the Bible from a couple of people who try to run and hide from God. You see it with Adam in the Garden of Eden, and there was sin, and Adam sinned, and he tried to run and he tried to hide from God. Adam, you got no chance. He could not hide. You see it in the story of David when he tried to escape God's presence. And what I love about that is David ended up writing Psalm 139 when he was trying to run away from God. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I hide from your presence? If I go to the highest mountain, you are there. If I go to the deepest depths, you are there. If I try to hide in the pitch black, well, that pitch black is like daylight to you. The omnipresent God. But the story of Adam and David not only shows God's presence as being 
almost like a spatial element. You understand what I mean by that? Like space, like closeness, nearness. These two bits of the Bible and other bits not only show us that God's presence has been spatial, it also opens up the prospect that God is also present to be hugely relational. Hugely relational. You've got the spatial, but you've got the relational. With God's presence, it is impossible for us to be spatially distant, but it is not impossible for us to be relationally distant. It is not impossible for us to be relationally distant from God. It is possible for God to be very present, and it's possible for us to be totally unaware that God is very present. This is because there's a relational distance or a bit of a disconnect or a bit of an unawareness. In Genesis 28, 16, Jacob says, surely the Lord was in this place. Surely the Lord was in this place. But Jacob says, I just wasn't aware of it. Surely God was in this place, but I wasn't aware of it. And there's also this story in Luke 24, which is what we're going to go through, and we're going to pull out two or three different things uh, before we come back to break bread together. Luke 24, 13 to, 15, 13 to 35. And there's an account of two, two people walking with Jesus. And I'm just going to read through before I pull out two or three different things for us to maybe consider over the hunger season, if I can see what I'm about to read. See, every time I come up here, I say I need glasses. It's about time I sorted it out. Okay, here we go. Now, the same day, two of them were going to the village called uh, going to the village called Emmaus. After about seven miles from Jerusalem, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. That's Jesus dying, being raised to life, and the resurrection. They were talking about everything that had happened. As they walked to discuss these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. They asked him, what are you discussing to? He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who hasn't got a clue, doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, and from God, powerful in word and deed, before God and all people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that it, they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter, to enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for this is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us 
while, we t- while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and, they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. When the two, when the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when they broke their bread. And so the first thing you see in this story, and these are people that knew who Jesus was, the first thing that you see in this story was that the two people, Cleopas and his, and his kind of traveling companion, they just didn't recognize Jesus. And he was standing right with them. He was standing right with them. It says in verse 16 that they were kept from recognizing him. And the irony of verse 18, sorry, when the two disciples say to Jesus, mate, are you the, sorry, mate, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? And they're talking to the guy that everything had happened to. The, The irony of the distance, the irony of the kind of who they were talking to and not being aware of who was walking with them. Different possibilities around why Jesus, uh, why these two people didn't recognize Jesus if you, if you read through the different commentaries. The first one, somehow God stopped them from seeing Jesus. Another idea, others, that Satan blinded their eyes. But there's another idea, and perhaps I've, uh, I don't know if I want to focus this one anymore or any less. I don't know, it might be a mixture of different things. Another idea is this, that it was more to do with their state of heart, that the two disciples were so caught up, distracted, confused, unsure of everything that was was going on, that they just didn't realize it was possible that Jesus was alive and risen and was actually with them. Their hearts and their minds and everything was so distracted, they just didn't see him. They didn't recognize that he was there, but they weren't present. I don't know if that makes sense. He was there all along. They just didn't recognize him. Somehow, somewhere, the disciples, spiritual receptors, if you like, like my TV, they they were off. It was off. It was like he was right there all along, but they didn't pick up the signal. Their ability to connect to Jesus relationally, there was just something unclear, something a bit fuzzy somewhere along the line. The next bit, what you see, as they spent a short time with Jesus, they become more and more interested in what he had to say. All of a sudden, we've gone from this unawareness to the beginning of an awareness, to the beginning of a desire. And in that chapter, you just see there's a start, there's a beginning of an interaction, and as it went on and on and on, their receptors became more in tune. As it went on and on and on, inside, there was a bit of a flicker. And then, by the time we get to verse 32, it talks about That's why when we walked with him, our hearts were on fire within. Went from an unawareness to time spent, where by the end of it, there was an awareness and a fire inside. So verse 32, within them, 
As time went on, their hearts began to flicker until it became a fire. The more he spoke and revealed truth to their questions, he brought belief to their unbelief. He brought presence to what might have seemed an abandonment. The more they came alive when they ate together. Oh, sorry. So there was, there was the abandonment, and then there was the presence. And the more they spent time with, the more they came alive inside until the point where they sat down and they broke bread. And only at that point were their eyes opened and they realized who they were with. There was an unawareness and then there came an awareness and a desire. So you've got to notice that something incredibly relational was taking place. Jesus was present. But what it took was an openness for the relational of the disciples to engage relationally with Jesus to recognize he is there. The importance of this relational element. This interaction wasn't all one-sided just from Jesus. It was interaction from the disciples in that journey. There was a searching taking place by the disciples and the interaction of Jesus being very present. Their spiritual receptors were becoming clearer the more they began to search and the more they began to look. And Jesus was more than willing to be around to show himself to those people that were asking the questions. He's more than willing to show himself. I believe that God is very present all the time and wants to relationally engage with us, but it takes something of us to find him, something of an inner desire to get more and more and more. If you're not a Christian, it takes an understanding of what Jesus has done. That's the first bit. And if we are a Christian, I still think there's a walking alongside. I still think there's a hunger and a desiring. And I still think there's something on our part that we play in this relationship where we keep asking him questions and we keep looking for him and we keep searching. And we keep hearing and we keep understanding and we keep listening. And there's an engaging with and his hearts that begin to become even more on fire. In our present day now, I believe that looks more like God's presence is a lot more of the Holy Spirit among us. That manifest presence where Jesus was there right next to him. But in our day, it's the Holy Spirit very present to bring us the manifest presence of God wherever we are on whatever, we point, uh, whatever point we're at. And I believe searching and asking for more of the Holy Spirit is a really, really good thing. And the last point before we break bread together is this. In verse 30, the disciples were showing hospitality. They were the ones that said to Jesus, come in, which was totally normal in that day. Come in. We want to give you food. Why don't you stay with us tonight? Jesus was going to carry on. He said, no, yep, I will come with you and I will eat with you. So Jesus is invited in, but in verse 30, you recognize that the person that was invited in actually becomes the host because Jesus himself takes the bread. Jesus himself breaks the bread. Jesus himself starts to provide for the two disciples that have been so accommodating. Jesus had been invited in 
and then he becomes the host, the one who serves them, the one who breaks the bread. This is a truly, again, a truly relational thing. And at this point, their eyes are opened. It's a wonderful sign of cooperation, an invitation, and the one that was invited in becomes the wonderful providing host who provides so much, who brings so much care and love and presence and understanding. It's a sign that through the whole interaction, Jesus was present spatially, but he only became present relationally as the disciples were asking questions, as they took time, as they took space, and their understanding grew. Perhaps their spiritual receptors woke up through time with Jesus, learning from Jesus, and the invitation to get involved in their lives. Their spiritual receptors became alert from walking with each other, asking questions together. They were looking for Jesus as they walked through the day, not just in private, but in their everyday. So what can we kind of like learn from that if you're a Christian or if you're, you're not a Christian? I think it's this, that spiritually, our spiritual kind of receptors, what kind of like recognizing that God is present, recognizing that he is there, but that relational bit, that wakes up more with devotion and time spent with Jesus in the everyday in private, but also when we're walking about. When we lock ourselves away in our room, but also, I believe, when we're interacting with each other and the people around us at work. I think there's a place where if we become more spiritually receptive, perhaps Jesus wants to talk to us when we're in our workplace a bit more. But it's about that opening up and being more aware tuning in our spiritual receptors at different points. It might be going home for a quick break for 20 minutes, saying, God, I'm going to focus back on you and then going back, whatever that looks like. But there is a place where it can happen. The interaction with Jesus shows me that it takes devotion to find more of him. More of him. Can the band come up? Is that all right? What we're going to do now at the start of the hunger season, the reason why I wanted to share that was for the next 10 minutes, we're going to break bread and we're going to worship. And um, at the start of the hunger season, um, really, it's an encouragement, to be honest. It's an encouragement that God is present and God is with you. Jesus is present and Jesus is with you. And if you're a Christian, then there's a place where Just being more aware that he is, the spiritual receptor, spending more time with him, getting an understanding of what he thinks, what he says, and letting that grow more and more. And I don't think that never ends. I don't think there's a place where we're always able to say, my relationship with God has reached its max and I'm now there. There's always more questions to ask. There's always more stuff to, to take place and to happen. And on the road to Emmaus, where you've got these two guys that really didn't recognize Jesus, all the way through to our hearts were on fire for this guy. 
I want to be on that side more. But for that to happen, I just want to be more aware of his presence in my life. I want to ask him, Jesus, what are you doing where I walk? What would you like me to do? Where do you want me to engage with people? Whatever that might look like. Does that make sense? I, I kind of like this as this has made sense. And at the start of the hunger season, in our every day, coming to Jesus and just saying at the start of the day, like Ross said, okay, I want to be more aware of you in my life. Get my spiritual aerial in line. Jesus, come and speak to me throughout the day. I'm going to devote this time to you. This day, I want to devote to you. And then maybe as an expression of that, we're going to break bread together. Maybe as an expression of that, just as the band play in a minute, breaking bread is about us remembering Jesus. His body broken, his blood shed, that covenant that he made with us. But sometimes for me, I remember that there's a covenant being made. I'm part of it. And Jesus' commitment to me and all he has done for me. And I sometimes picture it a bit like I'm sat at the other side of that. Jesus made a covenant with me. When I break bread, more often than not, it's me recommitting myself to Jesus as well. I remember what he's done for me. But as I take that bread and that wine, sometimes for me, I'm like, do you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm in this. And so Jesus, keep guiding me, keep following me, um, keep me following you but I choose to be devoted to you and that you're my saviour.